Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Don Howard. Welcome to today's show. Thanks for having me, Alan. So, Don, uh, for the listeners here, can you give some background of uh, what led you up to where you are today? Well, first, let me start with where I am today. For the listeners to know, I have the privilege of leading uh, one of uh, California's oldest philanthropic institutions, the James Irvine Foundation. Uh, we do grant making here in California, about $100 million a year uh, to address income inequality in our state and ensure that low-wage workers have the power to advance economically. Uh, it's been a long journey to get there. I would say my personal backstory really resembles like that of so many Americans of sort of a traditional immigration story. My grandmother came here at age 19 with uh, reportedly $10 in her pocket through Ellis Island and came here for a better future for her and her family. And she worked uh, uh, very, very hard to amass a small savings and that savings allowed my mom to go to college. And uh, that allowed me then uh, to uh, take the next step in our journey as a family. Uh, my mom was a single mom, two kids. Uh, she worked uh, a ton to save the money needed for us to get an education. And she just drilled that into our head from day one. And then I got a quite a lucky break and uh, was admitted to Stanford. And uh, that just changed the, uh, the trajectory of my family and our economic uh, prospects uh, quite dramatically. But she also drilled in. Uh, as a Depression-era child, my, my mother drilled into my head that I needed to get a job. And uh, I had the uh, clear mandate going to college that I was looking for a career in addition to a good general education. Uh, I embraced uh, engineering. I was industrial engineering at Stanford and uh, similarly got on a track to be a management consultant because that was a good job, not because it particularly sung to my heart or was uh, something I was exceedingly passionate about. It was a awesome learning experience and a wonderful network building experience. Uh, I worked at a firm called Booz Allen and Hamilton, uh, one of the larger consulting firms. They sponsored me to go back to business school and I went to Stanford um, and continued as a consultant after uh, that opportunity until at which I sort of woke up and asked myself, gosh, now that you've done everything that your mom encouraged you to do, what do you really, really want to do with your life? And I began a bit of a journey. It uh, took me about three years to reposition myself into mission-driven work. I started by um, that uh, journey by taking a leave from Booz Allen to join a, a, a program modeled off the Peace Corps. Uh, it's called the MBA Enterprise Corps. And I spent uh, the better part of two years in Poland as a volunteer business consultant after uh, the wall came down and the uh, economy transitioned to a market economy. And I got the bug for helping uh, other folks and the work that I did came back uh, to San Francisco in the midst of the HIV epidemic and uh, hitting my community quite hard and uh, took up uh, grassroots activism as a sort of nighttime avocation alongside my daytime work. I returned to Booz Allen for a third stint and it had probably uh, the uh, probably the sole uh, person of Booz Allen who by night was uh, wild-eyed activists with my picket signs, and by day was uh, trying to advise energy and chemicals companies on their strategy. Uh, that led me ultimately into nonprofit work uh, in the management consulting field, uh, Bain and Company, another management consulting firm, was uh, starting a nonprofit uh, subsidiary called the Bridgespan Group. Um, I joined early on and became the head of the San Francisco office of Bridgespan, uh, where I was for about 11 years. Tremendous background, uh, but I want to I want to roll back to your mom. Two kids, two kids coming. Me and my over sister. 
did she immediately come to the West Coast? Was there a stop on the East Coast for a bit? So it was my grandmother who came from Italy. She emigrated, and she was on the East Coast for the bulk of her life. Uh, she uh, only spoke broken English. Uh, she managed to, over the course of, uh, she's got the entrepreneur. She bought and sold houses uh, on the East Coast. She had six kids. Uh, tough life. She had 11 pregnancies, six live births. Uh, but the six kids uh, worked really hard with her to basically flip houses back in the 40s and 50s. And that led to a small savings. And ultimately, it was my mom who came to the West Coast seeking a better life and uh, sort of land of milk and honey, uh, came out to California during a teacher shortage and started uh, working as a teacher. How old were you? So at that point, I wasn't born yet. My mom came here before I was, uh, before I was born uh, and was in California for about three or four years, uh, she did a little stint overseas for an aerospace company, met my dad in Germany. Uh, they had my sister there. My sister's about three years older than I am, and then returned to suburban Southern California, Anaheim, and I was born in the city of Orange uh, in 1963. You know, it's a tremendous background, and, and, and you know, you've seen a variety of things in life, but... Uh, I'm up against the break right now, but I want to. When I get back, I want to talk a little about your transition into the nonprofit sector with the Irvine Foundation. Happy um, to. Visiting here today with Don Howard of the Irvine Foundation. We'll be right back after these messages. Grandpa, can we do chemistry? Papa, Daddy. Grandpa, let's do something fun. We'll help you stay organized so you can focus on what really matters in life. Give us a call today and see how we can help you start saving taxes. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Don Howard of the Irvine Foundation. Don, you have a tremendous experience of educational background out of Stanford, graduate degree, moved into uh, the private sector, consulting, uh, you, you moved through you know, some top-tier firms, and then transitioned into the nonprofit sector. Why? As I, you know, as I said, I, I realized it, through to my early career that I really was living out my mom's uh, sort of sense of what the American dream was. What she believed was that uh, it was about economic security and financial stability. And I, when I'd gotten to the point after uh, an MBA at Stanford and you know, eight or so years in management consulting, I realized I probably could count on my next paycheck. I wasn't going to go hungry. And I think that opening really led me to be more, um, to, to really question my own motivation and ask what really were my values, not my mom's values, or how do I build on her values? And to me, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. I think it was, that was really reinforced at Stanford as a sort of leadership philosophy. And I also grew up Catholic in Catholic schools. Just had a tremendous sense of service and commitment and obligation. And uh, as I said, my real pivot into mission-driven work was around the HIV epidemic. And I think it was Margaret Mead who said, uh, you know, it takes a small group of folks to change the world or uh, expect that they can. And what I saw in the work I was doing around HIV activism was just how important it was for a community to stand up, to expect uh, uh, elected representatives to serve them well and to demand change if it wasn't happening. 
And a lot of real uh, systems and policy changes happened during the 90s uh, that now spread throughout our healthcare system. Uh, the way we develop drugs, the way we price drugs, the way patients are involved in research all came from activism that happened during the HIV epidemic. And it was that kernel of an observation that led me to think, I should be doing this for my profession, not just in my spare time. And uh, really fortuitously, and I, I do think fortune shines on the well-prepared or whatever that saying is, as Bain was starting a nonprofit subsidiary, I was almost you know, tailor-made for the role right out of central casting. I had this background of eight years or so at Booz Allen, and I had this experience in the nonprofit sector and mission-driven work. And I was able to bring those together to then advise other nonprofit leaders um, how to uh, scale their impact and uh, importantly, how to work with funders like foundations. Uh, uh, one of my clients was the Irvine Foundation. I got to know the CEO there, had known the CEO previously, but got to know him quite well. And he ultimately invited me to join as the uh, lead on the grant making work, sort of the number two um, back in 2013, right as my kids were being born. How big is the Ur the James Irvine Foundation? So Mr. Irvine left. Uh, he owned, uh, at the time, back in 1937, um, a swath of land in Orange County that was eight miles of coastline, 20 miles inland, if you can imagine, all centered around, uh, you know, sort of Newport Beach. And he left half of the ranch uh, to benefit the people of California. We divested in the 70s. Uh, the uh, endowment's now about $2.5 billion dollars. And we do grant making of about 100, 105 million a year at this point. In the grant making sector, uh, and your focus, so this is where you you spend your time, your your day job. Mm -hmm. uh, what constitute uh, on the criteria something that that the Irvine Foundation wants to become involved with? So we are a little unusual in the world of philanthropy in that we have one singular goal as an institution, which is to ensure that low-wage workers in California have the power to advance economically. And that was a transition made under my leadership and with our current board uh, with a hypothesis that by being focused on one goal, we would have more impact in the grant-making that we do. Uh, so we are all in on efforts to help skill up low-wage workers for better jobs, to help uh, ensure low-wage workers get paid what they're due and get paid well enough uh, to enter the middle class. And we're looking at issues of uh, what it costs to live in California for low-wage workers. So we're looking at issues around affordable housing as well. I'm visiting here today with Don Howard of the Irvine Foundation. I'm up against the break again. But when we get back, I want to go deeper into what you're doing on the social impact area with the Irvine Foundation. We'll be right back after these messages. We have to watch out for the treasure guardian. Oh no! The treasure guardian! Since you can't take your wealth with you, spend time with your family. Groco, servicing family office needs since 1964. Welcome back. I'm visiting here today with Don Howard of the Irvine Foundation. Don, in the previous segment, we talked about the the, the, the you know, how the Irvine Foundation became um, what it is today, and two and a half billion dollars of endowment, and in uh, in what a what a vision James Irvine had, uh, dying in 1937, but leaving this foundation that is still very active today in in helping. 
to lift the, the those who are not as capable as as individual. I want to go back to this uh, this area. I'm gonna I'm gonna coin the term self reliance of this lower income sector, uh, and, and we're we're faced with a crisis in homelessness and housing costs. And Irvine Foundation is jumping right in the middle with social impact. Um, how do you deal with this? Well, we started with the observation that uh, the California's working population, a, a tremendous number of folks are living uh, in very precarious uh, economic straits. Uh, uh, estimates are that about 40% of Californians live at or near the poverty level. And when you look at workers, working Californians, we just commissioned a, a pretty broad survey. Close to 47% of workers identify as at or below uh, their local, what it costs to live locally, not the national poverty rate, but a local cost of living. And that's not sustainable as a state. It's not morally right, nor is it economically smart for us to be creating such a big divide and such a uh, really an underclass uh, in our state. Uh, so what we've gone about doing is really putting our arms around low-wage workers and listening to their needs, understanding the challenges that they're facing, and then making grants, what we consider to be investments in social change, in leaders and communities that are doing the best work where they have evidence that what they're doing is making a difference. So we have uh, one of our initiatives is called Better Careers. It's a $120 million commitment over six years to help uh, strengthen and scale the best workforce development programs in our state that have evidence that they can put folks into living wage work. Uh, and in giving them uh, large investments that are flexible and they can use as they need to, they can innovate to find ways to serve more folks more effectively and hopefully help lift some folks out of poverty and help those folks get into living wage jobs. Don, as you issue grants to various organizations, how do you build accountability for uh, what they've done with the money? That's a great question. Uh, we've embraced accountability as one of our values at the institution, and our grant making is organized into these initiatives that, uh, where we have very clear goals for success, very measurable goals. And that's hard to do in philanthropy because a lot of social change isn't that measurable. But in our Better Careers Initiative, which I mentioned, um, the grantees there have very specific goals of placing uh, underprepared, underpaid workers uh, into better jobs, training them, helping them get placed, helping them succeed in living wage work. So you can measure that. You can see a year after our folks in those jobs have their wages increased, et cetera. Uh, so we do measure that. We ask our grantees re to report back on that. Uh, we also have a set of goals for each of these initiatives that is uh, at a higher level, if you will, around innovation for the future, doing things cheaper, better, faster. Uh, and a set of goals around trying to scale the impact by affecting public policies. Nonprofits are really a small part of the workforce development system in our state, so the real impact will come from demonstrating better ways and embedding those better ways into public policies that govern the broader economy. So we have very clear measurable goals. Uh, we do also, and I think this is important to know if you're someone in the audience is a philanthropist or a budding philanthropist, we respect the leaders of those institutions to know about how to do their work in the best way. We uh, also embrace the idea that the, the best ideas are outside the building. You hear that a lot in Silicon Valley. We're taking that into philanthropy. The leaders in these communities who run these organizations are closer to the problem. The constituents, the members of these groups are the ones who can identify what's working and what's not. 
So we give them un, um, unrestricted capital, uh, what we call general operating support, so that they can invest to scale their impact on their terms, not through some ideas we might have from our vantage point. I love it. And then that way it allows innovation and, and such to come through. Um, with the foundation, uh, first of all, how many employees are there? So we have about 55 staff members between an office here in San Francisco, our headquarters, and a pretty significant size office in downtown LA. And then, uh, and then you have in the San Francisco office roughly? About uh, 40 of those 55 folks. We have our own internal investment office. So we uh, have about five folks who are on an investment team. Uh, we have about 25 folks who are on our grant making team. You know, so I, I have I have to ask this question. So, James Irvine, Southern California, Orange Orange County, headquarters, San Francisco. How that uh, happened, huh? What, what happened here? Well, Mr. Irvine's father uh, made the family's initial wealth by selling hard goods to the gold miners. Uh, not a story that's you know it's a common story for some in San Francisco. Uh, I think at the Levi Strauss Foundation is a good example of this. Uh, his uh, legal offices, uh, the business offices of the family were always in San Francisco. It's where the lawyers were. It's where the accountants were. Uh, uh, Mr. Irvine loved the ranch, which was purchased after his father's death. And uh, he loved living on it and turning it into an operating uh, agricultural business. Uh, so he spent more time in Orange County, but the family offices, so to speak, uh, stayed in San Francisco. When you look at the foundation today and on a year year after year basis, do you have uh, a lot of concerns in the nonprofit world? Is is just funding other charities and and you know trying to build accountability? How do you choose? Mm -hmm. How do you choose your partners? So uh, you know we've set this goal of advancing the cause of low wage workers. Uh, within that, we've identified what we think drives, and there's a lot of evidence around this, a lot of good research around what drives economic mobility. So you need to have be trained for a job that's a well-paying job. So job training becomes one of the areas we're investing in. So it's within that that we then need to choose who are the organizations that we're going to invest in. And you know, not too unlike maybe some of your venture capital uh, colleagues, we have a due diligence rubric that we use. We do landscaping of the organizations. We run them through a set of analyses, and we try to surface those that we think have the greatest opportunity to make a difference and can do it at the most effective, uh, do it the most efficient way and uh, make grants to them. We do reserve, just I think it's important to know, in for some segments of California and some segments of our uh, California communities, they're not well served by these bigger organizations. So if you're in Fresno or if you're a returning veteran, let's just say, um, there may not be one of those may, one of the organizations that passes our due diligence may not actually be serving you. So we reserve a certain amount of our grant making for organizations that are a little earlier stage or working with populations a little harder to serve uh, to make sure that we don't uh, have the rigidity of a due diligence process mean that we are not uh, able to serve everyone in California. I got to ask though, with all the things that you have going on, the social impact, I love the programs that you're working with and lifting those who, who need help the most. What are some of the most favorite organizations you're working with today? Oh, it's like asking me to pick my favorite child. That's a little tough to do. Uh, let me just uh, point out a couple that I think are really impressive. Uh, Year Up is an organization many folks are familiar with. They help young folks who are disconnected from education and from work 
uh, get back on track and train up, do an internship, and then get placed in a job. Uh, we've been providing considerable support. They have a great amount of evidence that what they're doing is making a significant difference, and they're doing it at a scale that is uh, really impressive. Um, there's a, another organization here in the Bay Area called Jewish Vocational Services, or JVS. They similarly have really figured out how to work with employers to place uh, newcomers, particularly immigrant uh, community members, into jobs uh, in the Bay Area. Um, the list could go on. We do have about 20 or uh, so of these core grantees around workforce and workforce development. Uh, let me let mention one last one to just give you a little breath. The Center for Employment Opportunities works with people coming out of the justice system, uh, helps put them to work initially in contracts they have with uh, uh, state organizations like the, the roads uh, to do road work and such, but then uh, with that base begin to train them up for better paying jobs and help place folks into work that can help them lift their families into the middle class. With uh, with all that's going on and, and there's great needs in society today as we see driving by the freeway all the people in tents. Um, if a person has a cause and an organization, they say, hey, do you know, you're our answer. <laughs> How do they go about contacting you? How do you want to receive things from well, there's a couple things to know. If you are someone who has resources and you want to support some organizations, we publish all of our grantees and the uh, focus of the grant on our website at Irvine.org. Uh, and you can scan that for ideas on folks who you might want to support. We're not a grant-seeking institution, so we're not the kind of organization uh, that could uh, take somebody else's money. Uh, but I think the research and the due diligence and the help beyond the dollars that we provide these grantees makes them great investment candidates for others. So, Don, when everything's said and done, how do you want to be remembered? You know, it's funny. I have, and I'm, I'm switching this from a business to a personal yeah, level. Yeah, and, and one thing to know about me is I have twin uh, sons who are six years old. And so I think quite a bit now about legacy, and I hope the lessons I can convey to them about service, um, about giving back, about making a difference, uh, will uh, you know stay on beyond my time and make a difference in our state and in our country. I sometimes uh, find myself in you know despairing over the state of our world, and then I'm with my boys, and I realize the potential they have to make a difference. I also spend a lot of time trying to make sure they know the privilege they have. Um, my grandmother, as I said, came with $10 uh, through Ellis Island, and my mom worked hard and I've worked hard. I want them to know that they have an obligation, again, to whom much is given, much is expected, uh, to give back. And I hope uh, they both grow up uh, wanting to do that, but knowing that uh, the resources they have are not, uh, you know, they're not evenly spread. Folks don't have the same uh, lifestyle that we get to have, and that uh, is all the more important for them to make a difference in somebody else's life. You know, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show, Don. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm walking away from this thing. Here I'm sitting across the table from an individual that has great educational foundation, could do anything they want in the private sector, but they chose a pathway in life of lifting and building the less fortunate. I really appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me.